Hello and welcome to the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. My name is Ross LeCain. I'm bringing my 25 years industry experience together with leading experts around the globe to give you the insights on how to live a better life and grow a profitable mortgage broking business that you are proud of. Welcome to another edition of the Billion Dollar Broker. I'm excited. I've got my good friend, Aaron Christie David, with me today. Uh, he's from Atelier Wealth. He's run that business for the last four years with his wife, Bernadette. Uh, won you know, numerous awards, uh, especially in the area of customer service and top 100 broker and all around good guy. So uh, welcome, Aaron. Too kind, mate. Thanks very much, Ross. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so um, let's just talk a little bit about your journey. Like we met years ago, we we in the wizard days, and you were Absolutely. working in, in marketing. So yeah, yeah, tell me a bit of your your journey. Yeah, mate. Look, I probably cut my teeth early on in financial services, coming into marketing when I was like, I guess that what you'd call a disruptor back in the day, wouldn't you, Ross? What it's called now. Um, yeah, so working with um, Brad Sim on the marketing team, I guess being the conduit between head office and someone like yourself who was. Um, at the coalface and I guess being on the, on the ground in the marketing support role, got a really good feel for what great brokerages like yourself were doing versus some of the brokers that maybe weren't performing really well. And, uh, and after Wizard got acquired by Aussie, uh, I moved across into Commonwealth Bank in terms of the marketing for brokers. So I guess what you'd see in common broker, some of the marketing communications that went, went out to brokers. So again, getting a really good feel for what say diamond brokers are doing because that's a lot of the exposure that I had compared to say the mobile lenders uh, as well. So my view of the world in terms of brokers, I've, I've known a lot of good brokers and great brokers. And I guess I've been um, really fortunate to be rubbing shoulders with you know, bro- bro- ex-brokers like yourself, mate. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I had a similar thing and I think Wizard... At the time I started in a, a more of a development role where yeah. I was training mobile lending managers. But similar to you, I'd go out to some of the best stores and I'd just pick bits and pieces from, you know, what the top performing stores were doing. So when, mm. you know, I started my business, I was able to sort of implement those things straight away, which, which is yeah. why... I sort of got up and running, you know, quite quickly. So I think yeah. from what you're saying, there's a, a real lesson in that for brokers, isn't there? To to go and find out what the best are doing and yeah, just pick their brains and find out what's working for them. Totally, mate. So that, that old cliche like success leaves clues, doesn't it? And I think when you start to speak to the ones that are successful in their field, whether it's broking, any other industry, you'll find that they're very open. They've got an open door policy. They want to share. They don't see new entrants as competition. In fact, they're encouraging new blood to come into the industry to pass the baton on as well. Uh, So I think I was really fortunate to be able to have access to some really good brokers when I started out to go, what would you do if you started again today? And they would be really open to sharing their mistakes. So someone else didn't have to learn the hard way. They were able to pass pass that info on. And I recall that we even caught up very early on and, and, um, and you were super supportive and so there's so many brokers that would have been so encouraging. So I'm, I stand here, so I sit here today purely because of people that have kind of been able to open doors and lay the pathway for me as well, mate. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So important and to, you know, to take, 
just you might take one thing and it might be from this podcast that you're listening to now you might take one thing that Aaron does and that becomes something that you go ahead and then implement your business. So it's yeah. just the one percenters, isn't it? You know, oh, it's the very small things, low hanging fruit. It's uh, not overthinking it. It's being, I guess, very open-minded to learning from other people as well, whether where you are in your life cycle, you could be starting out, you could be well-established. We've all got so much to learn from each other as well, mate. Can you think of one thing that you've taken? It could be from anyone, right? Can you think yeah. of one thing, idea that you've sort of taken from those days or, or maybe more recently that you've implemented in your business that's been, <laughs> you know, that, that's been a success? Yeah. yeah. One thing, I definitely think, I know when we're at our wizard days, the database was what we called building blocks, wasn't it? Like mm. it was the cornerstone of your business. And so we at the moment have some, a, a team member Rachel dedicated purely to cleaning up our database. Um, what that means is say annual reviews, birthdays, loan anniversaries, referrals from existing customers, like getting a lot of that handle on our database. I'd say that's the one thing that is changing our business and helping it mature and grow as well. Because we're finding as we grow, there's so many gaps in our database that we just can't seem to grow without that being, I guess, the, the handbrake for our growth at the moment. Oh, definitely. And, um, you know, even talking to someone like Todd Duncan, who I did mm. a podcast with the last couple of times, and, you know, he was saying the one tip, because I asked him it's something similar, and he yeah. said it's that database and mining it and making sure that the information that you've got in there is is gold. And I think you were at Wizard around the time where we did that uh, referral marketing totally. um, you know, the so whole like shift in like marketing to go from like lead gen to more the referral based marketing. So I was like, hang on, you've got good referral partners, you've got existing clients who are loyal. Why aren't you working with them to get more referrals because they convert at a higher rate? Still keep your lead gen going, but that is the golden goose in your business. Exactly. And yeah. most of the top brokers understand that. And yeah. you know where a lot of the the lesser brokers struggle is they don't understand you know what gold is actually sitting in their own database and Correct. you know sometimes you need to educate clients for it to come out right and I know yeah. you're big around sort of you know focusing on your niche market and giving them sort of that education so they don't just become a home buyer that they can potentially uh, become an investor. I mean, we'll get yeah, into definitely. that a little bit um, down the track because I'm, yep. I'm really so you know um, want to go there. But for now, let's just sort of stay on that sort of database piece and yeah. talk to me a little bit about what you've done with your data database. Yeah, so we at one point stripped it all the way back, Ross. When when we knew that there was so many gaps, they were coming up for like annual biannual reviews. Because we've been growing so quickly, um, we've just been building the plans, we're flying it. And then I realized, I'm like, hang on, there wasn't really a, way, a clean way to measure how many referrals we'll get from existing customers or who our best referral partners were, for example. And so it always came back to the cleanliness and the hygiene of our data. I'm like, well, hang on, we can't really grow because this is always going to be a sticking point. So we ripped the handbrake on the business for a little bit. 
and, uh, and brought Rachel on to go through our entire database. So that meant contacting lenders to get updated details around loan accounts, um, splits being variable versus fixed, interest only dates, for example. So a lot of that info was there, but it was also in our like client files. And it, it just meant that we were, uh, it was a lot of rework when we we're trying to do loan reviews, for example, or trying to contact customers because a lot of that stuff, we just hadn't had the foresight to plant the seed early, if that makes sense. And that, that piece of work now means that when clients call us, kind of like that single view of a customer, click of a button, yep, we can see the loans that they've got. We can see their LVRs, for example. We can see the lenders that they're, uh, that they're with. So for us to be able to have that, that data at our fingertips, it makes us, uh, what would be the word? It makes us so much more powerful for our clients rather than them having to go back to their banks to know what their existing rates are, for example. It makes us far more streamlined as a team, which is even better. And, um, and now we're set up to grow because we've got a really strong foundation. So the database would say is also that laying the slab in your house. That is the slab that you want to be building, like a really good quality slab. And we've gone through, we've gone through a few rounds that we started out with an Excel spreadsheet at one point, just kind of mapped out the data that was important. Then we put it through aggregator software and now we're moving into that marketing automation software as well. Definitely. So in terms of, you touched on a couple of key points there in terms of, and I was sort of just reading between the lines and there was a couple mm. of key things that I took out of what you just said. One is it's sort of identifying those clients that refer to you the most, right? So, so you're identifying yeah. in, in everyone's database, they have that top 20% of customers. You know, yep. that top 20% of customers will give them 80% of the income. Absolutely. Yep. So, um, you know, standard 80-20 rule. And, yeah. you know, so what you're doing in your database is identifying, well, who is that top 20%? Who are these clients that are referring me clients and, and being able to do that? The second mm. thing that I took out of it is that you actually have an annual review process. Um, because when you're actually they're contacting you, then you're looking ways to be able to sort of add value and be do yeah. that in a real seamless way. So do you want to talk a little bit about your annual review process? Yeah, mate, correct. So, I mean, we're not perfect. So again, this is something that we've been, mm. been trialing, making errors and learning from it as well. Mm. So the annual review process is simply is at one point pulling up the, the uh, trial and commission report from this time last year and the year before that okay what loan settled mm. in the last couple of years to be able to do reviews then we do a proper report we contact the existing bank try to do some uh, retention pricing at that point we've booked them in for a what we call like a momentum call and say hey look just a quick check-in we've done some existing uh, rate reviews for you with your current lender so you don't need to consider moving however if you do want to consider moving here's some lenders that are more competitive because we kind of know that tax around being an existing customer versus a new customer. Hmm. That then becomes a, a real touch point just to go, hey guys, how's life going? How's a family? How's your house going? What are the game plans for the next 12 months? And if nothing else, it keeps everyone on track just to go, hey, look, do you have plans to renovate? Do you have plans to buy the investment property, for example? Um, it's nothing from a marketing point of view. It's what we call like a customer care point of view hmm. just to check in to see how we're going. And I think the other part here, Ross, is in a super competitive environment, if we're not talking to our customers, someone else will be. And that's the part that scares me because we've worked so hard to get our customer in to our business 
but it'd be so it's so easy for someone to have a chat on the weekend and almost try and like nip at the heels of all our customers as well. And that's the part that I'm really trying to engender in our business, which is we've worked so hard to get and earn the trust of our existing clients. Why don't we just work that extra bit more to keep them and hold them and, and make them really happy with us as well? Oh, exactly. What Aaron said to a lot of brokers out there is gold. It's so gold in terms of, you know, that annual review process and just taking the time to understand, you know, those three areas that Aaron mentioned that you can assist the client with at that annual review, which is one around their financial position and their rates and, you know, explaining how additional repayments and offset account work secondly around wealth creation what are they looking to do to you know set themselves up for uh retirement and thirdly around lifestyle are they looking yeah. at upgrading their house in the next 12 months are they looking at doing any renovations or getting you know a brand new car or something like that so if we cover those three things with our annual review process um it not only adds massive value to the client, but through you add, adding massive value to the client, you are then going to you know, assist them to sort of um, create wealth and, and a much better, you know, much better life, which is you know, setting you apart from that transactional broker to a real trusted um, lifelong fan and really delighting your customers so love yeah. it love it no thank you mate thank you yeah uh, so let's move on in terms of from the database and you touched on it before but i wanted to go back to it in terms yep. of around again you've come from a marketing background so marketing is definitely a strength um of yours um and there's a couple of things that i love when you know we've chatted in the past is you're really clear on your numbers and you're really clear on your niche. So I wanted to talk around those things. So yeah, tell me a little bit around your niche first because and then we can sort of get into the numbers. Yeah, great. So my niche that I serve is investors and particularly first-time investors or frustrated investors. So let's say, for example, a first-time investor would consider of two. One is they're either renting, so they're a rent investor, so they're renting, but they want to buy an investment property to, to get into the market. The second one is they've already got a property that has equity, so maybe their own home, that now they're looking to buy their first investment property. When we look at that niche, um, first-time investors, they have the very same, they have similar um, concerns, similar challenges, and so kind of working with them, I, I get them. And the other part is frustrated investors, which is, Maybe they've hit a, um, hit a wall when it comes to serviceability or borrowing capacity, or maybe they've bought a, a not so well-performing property in the past, and now they're looking to see what they can actually do to move forward as well, because they've got ambitions, but they just don't seem to have the means of getting to the next level as well. Yeah, definitely. So that, that, yeah, that's kind of my core niches. Uh, in our business, then Bernadette works with uh, self-employed and SMSF clients given that her background is tax and accounting as well. So being able to speak to speak for balance sheets, P&Ls, BASs, for example, ways of tax minimization with an accountant, she can speak that language. Um, and so that's why she's been able to really kind of strike a chord with her clients as well. Beautiful. And, and I love that. I love that in terms of it's, one, it's about focusing on a niche that, one, 
you know, you are, can be market leading in serving um, yeah. and it's, it becomes easy and something that you enjoy. So what do you love about your niche? Yeah, I guess they're on the pathway that we are. So I, I, I have a view of the world that you don't need, I mean, 10 properties in 10 years was something that got bandied around for a little bit. When we speak to our clients and actually talk them through it, sometimes they don't need 10, they need maybe about three or four quality properties. And so we speak to them and understand that, especially if they're a couple, because we're a couple as well, we get the challenges of the yin and yang in the relationship. Um, one of the partners is maybe more aggressive than the other. And so it becomes less about the rational side of buying investment property and more about the emotional side of buying property. And I think some parts, that's where sometimes we're so clinical to do the deal, for example, a loan structure, but we're not really going that extra mile to actually understand, but what are the fears that they've got? What's holding them back? Why wouldn't they have done this five years ago when it made sense to as well? So I think once we start to unpack a little bit of those fears that they've got, they're going, hey, these are real people that get my real concerns. And that's why we want to be the broker of their choice because we're connecting them on that, that emotional level as well. Definitely. Um, and that's, that's what I thought has found like, it's real talk. Definitely. It's real, it's real like heart to heart conversation sometimes. And, and putting your marketing hat back on for, <laughs> for a minute, how important yeah. is understanding those things from your marketing point of view? Yeah, it's, I mean, spot on, right? So you want to get that message across. And I think for us as brokers, sometimes niching, it's, it's such a hard concept because we want to serve, I mean, our industry talks about diversification all the time. Hmm. And so we feel like we need to be everything to everyone. But I think niching and going, hey, look, this is who I serve best and this is my ideal client means that I'm not losing first-time buyers or refinances, but I'm just saying my ideal client is this person because I get them but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not being able to serve first-time buyers as well because they've got, you know, same, same, but different concerns. And then I guess from a marketing message, it makes it very clear that when we're working with, say, buyers agents, they know who to refer to me because they know that you know, I maybe have a higher conversion rate at the first-time investors, maybe then perhaps another broker as well. Exactly. You become more attractive to those yeah. particular, you know, referral partners in your niche. So for you, yeah. it's, you know, as you said, I know you work closely with some buyers agents, yeah. um, some accountants, some real estate agents, uh, and people that know that you're great at what you do. So yeah. it's, um, whereas if you're a generalist, you don't stand out to anybody. So by being that and choosing uh, that niche, again, you don't exclude yourself from doing those things, uh, but you definitely raise yourself up on a pedestal in those areas that you specialize in. And I love that, you know, you and your partner, Bernadette, also have, you know, separate niches. So you're, you are casting your net a little bit wider. Um, yeah. So yeah, it comes in. It's like it's a it's a Bernie client or it's an Aaron client, for example. Like it's we're not. It's not a. It's very clear for us, mate, who who will be able to serve who, uh, which helps for us as well. So that means we're not stepping on each other's toes. Definitely, and yeah, you know, in terms of the niches that you have chosen, uh, are good ones because those clients transact more often, right? So your property investors, yeah. they don't just buy one property; they buy two Correct. or more, right? Correct. So you're doubling your, 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 your value of your client if they buy a second property. And same as your self-employed client is, you know, they don't just need um, a home loan. 
They need yeah. equipment finance. They need, right. you know, um, so many more layers um, when you're dealing with that sort of client than when you're dealing with, um, you know, like just a straight refinance, yeah, for example. Just, exactly. Yeah. Because and the beauty here, Ross, is that you actually refer out a lot as well. And that's one thing that we really got clear on, which is how can we refer out to our business partners? So we have a very clear no pay or no, you know, we don't accept or pay for referrals or recommendations. So for us, the only way we can serve our partners is to give them their ideal client as well. So for us to be referring out to an accountant or a financial planner or a buyer's agent, because we've been able to work with them on that whole team, that notion of team around the client, to help them get there, referring out becomes far easier. And that's the value that we can, as brokers, we can then have. I know you were probably a gun at this as well in terms of referring out. As well. Definitely, I was the same. Never paid for a referral, yeah. and you know, I got you know some of my referral partners. You know, I say were worth over five hundred thousand dollars a year to you, mm. right? So, Correct. you know, it just if and people, you know, will have a sales process to deal with one person, but quite often they don't think of the bigger picture in terms of you know how can I really position myself? How can I make myself? an expert in that particular field yeah. so I am the go-to person um, yeah. and then it becomes a no-brainer and, and again I, I really love in terms of your niche is so fine that you've got it down to I work with first-time property investors mm. um, you know which you know your your marketing message and your message that you're putting out to the market is very very clear so yeah, yeah definitely so. love that so second part of it I wanted to talk about, and again, it's come from your marketing background, is just knowing your numbers. So, um, you know, I asked you a question in terms of, you know, when we were sort of having a chat, well, what do you got? And you sort of listed down. So tell me in terms of, you know, from that, just how you sort of, you know, set your targets and, um, and, and how you work it back from yeah. result that you're looking for. Thanks, mate. Yeah, the target really isn't like the number. Yeah, sure, as, a, as an industry, we kind of hold up settlements. So we work on settlements and go, okay, each year we personally just want to get better. We want to grow each year. So how do we set a stretch target as a team? Um, I'll just throw a number out there. Let's say we want to get to 100 mil. Mm. 100 mil, how many loans, average loan size is 500K, therefore how many loans do we need to do? That's, and then we work backwards and we work kind of upstream to go, okay, so that's settlements, how many apps, apps, how many, um, how many scenarios do we need to do? How many pitches do we need to be doing? And then how many interviews do we need to do? How many prospects? How many leads? And then, then off the back of that, then we've kind of broken it down, which is how many leads or inquiries do we get from referral partners? How many do we generate online, for example? And how many come from existing customers? So we did a lot of work in terms of what we'd call our scoreboard. And we said, right, this is our marketing scoreboard in terms of how we're going to generate these leads. And then we put that into, I guess, our our um, our funnels and our conversion rates as well and then we have very clear from an annual number breaking that down quarterly monthly and then weekly and when you look at weekly and then put it into a, a daily it's like one settlement a day um, it's two conversations a day it's one scenario a day and so when we have our team it, everyone's metricated based on doing their one part but with the sum of our parts. So if I'm having two new lead calls a day, Damien's doing one scenario, and we've got a settlement per day, 
the cumulative effect on that means in 365 days, we've hit our number. Whereas you look at 100 million, you go, shit, that's a big number, right? And, um, and I think that's what we've, we've got really clear on our scoreboard. Um, and, and each Friday at 2, I think it's 2.30 every Friday, we have our call on our scoreboard uh, and just run through our numbers and our performance of the week. Exactly, exactly. So it's, you know, again, it's, it, if you don't set those goals, you don't set those targets, it's like, you know, it's, it's like playing soccer without having a goal to shoot at, right? Exactly. You're just sort of running around in circles. So this, um, you know, Friday's sort of, you know, that's full time. We see how we went on the, on the scoreboard for this week. Did we win or did we lose? Um, and, and it's red or green. Our scoreboard, uh, our, our little light on it on Excel spreadsheet is red or green. It's like we, we got close, but we didn't get there. So therefore it's red. And mm. none of the team want to see it red. We all want to see it green. So that way we want to help each other out to make sure that we're all going to the green, for example. Oh, exactly. And it, yeah. it, it makes your sole focus of your business is around, well, how can I get that next client, right? So how can I serve that that next person? And totally. so, you know, rather than, you know, ch chasing shiny objects, we're sort yeah. of really focusing in on what needs to be done and what activities we need to take that day to be able to do that. So with obviously, again, you know, in four years, you've, you've been in the top 100 brokers, your business has grown, um, you know, and your database has obviously grown. So what has been some of the challenges that you've faced, you know, throughout that growth? And this is sort of, you know, from a business launching to <laughs> sort of, you know, where you've got to be full throttle to get it off the ground. And now you're yeah. sort of in that more uh it's off the ground and now it's you you're having more of the running the the, the running um sort of issues with your business yeah i'll make challenges uh, I'll, I'll rattle them off and i'll and then we can probably go through them a little okay. bit so at the start you kind of go well as a failure rate in our industry the, the odds are against you what is it 50 percent will fail in their first 18 months because i wasn't in lending before this i was i wasn't a lender so new to industry 50 percent will fail in their first 18 months then you overlay small business statistics and I guess what two thirds will look, drop out in the first three years in terms of business uh, failure rate. Then you get to, I guess, the three to four year period and it's like, I think four fifths of business aren't profitable. Um, and then you get to a point where out of those businesses that are remaining, how many are kind of burnt out physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, so for me, those challenges, we've been through it all. You go, start cash flow how do we turn the corner around cash flow right control your expenses for example try and focus on on revenue then you get to the point that you've got revenue under control then it's like well hang on we're growing but how do we grow and scale but do this profitably as well because you can scale too quickly and then lose profitability and then you could just keep working on stuff as well so from a time point of view geez seven days you, you just keep working around the clock um, and you risk burnout and then when you bring on team, that's, well, how do I onboard my team? How do I keep them engaged? How do I train them up? So you, you transition from knowing everything about every deal and every client to then starting to lose touch a little bit with like the detail to a point that, hey, I need the team. I need to be able to trust my team to get off the tools 
and then be able to let go. And that transition over four years, when you look back at it, it's, it feels like it's a slow burn. And then you go back four years and you're like, wow, that, that happened quite, so it's almost like that trajectory can go up very quickly um, if you want it to. And look, rightly or wrongly, some, some, some brokerages, some businesses don't want to grow on scale and there's nothing against that. For us and for myself, I just couldn't, I just couldn't see myself doing entry into apply online in four years time. So I'm like, well, I've got to get myself out of that. Um, I didn't want to call banks for updates. So I need to get myself out of that. And then you kind of go, well, I can get teams so I can leverage my time. The team is what we call it in our business. So how do I bring on more team members who are much better at that than me? And that's what it means. So how do we give our customers great support? Because Aaron isn't the best at calling banks for an update. So you'll hear from Carmela in our team, for example, and the client comes on that journey with you as you go on scale. And I think sometimes you even ask for apology up front from some customers saying, hey, look, we might be trialing a new way of doing it. Can you give us feedback? And if, if things kind of don't go that great, we're sorry up front, but we will fix it. And I think we've got better at that at the moment, Ross, which is we are growing. Um, we're doing everything possible to help you out. And if things go wrong, we will own it and we'll fix it. But just know that we're trying our absolute best for you as well. And we're human. And um, that's become one of our core values over this financial year to go, hey, we're human. It's okay to make mistakes because we will as we grow. Yeah, it's, um, it's that whole thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. If something's worth doing well, yeah. it's actually worth doing not so well or badly to begin with, oh, right? Because right. we know ultimately, hey, this is what we want our life to look like. This is, mm. um, we'll again touch on that a little bit further, but in terms of we know this is what we want our life to look like. These yeah. are the changes that we need to make. Obviously, we haven't actually done this before, so we're not. Yeah, uh, we're hoping it's going yeah. to work, but we're not a hundred percent sure of exactly how it's going to work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love that sort of analogy, and I love how you sort of, you know, sometimes pre preposition it with the client, but and then I love what you said about be quick to own your mistakes. Mm. Um, something that we you know, always used to say in our business is that we're failing forward, right? Uh, spot on. Yep, spot on. We're failing forward. If there's a mistake, we'll own it and we'll, we'll move on and uh, do our best to ensure that it doesn't happen uh, in the future. Totally, man. And I think there's, yeah, as we all kind of chase the, I don't know, the systems and processes and be, being like the best customer service type brokerage, I think that's like the gold standard for our industry. I think sometimes as an industry, we're, I think we should be saying, hey, look, it's okay if we don't convert every deal. It's okay if you lose a customer. It's okay um, if, you know, something falls over in your business and your team member learns from it. I think we need to have that. That is part of our industry culture to go, we're not all perfect brokerages. Um, and that's something that we're putting our hand up to say, yeah, we'll still lose clients today because we weren't quick enough to get back to them. And that just means we need to relook at our process to go, did we tell them how long it was going to take? Why aren't we getting back to them quicker rather than just kind of beating ourselves up over it as well? Because I think it's okay to make mistakes. It is. It's okay. And, you know, we become a victim of our success because, totally. you know, in terms of, Yes, we've got our business to a certain level because we provide the customer service. 
Um, we provide the service to our referral partners and then they start really loving what we do. So we get more referrals and we get yeah. more repeat business. They tell their friends and, um, you know, next thing we know, we might, on one day, we might have 10 inquiries, right? Correct. And we know that on that particular day, whether it's Monday, we're not going to get through those. So it's around, mm. let's say, in terms of managing those expectations for yep. the client. And I think a lot of people shy away from that and saying, oh, I can't tell them that it's going to take three or four That's days. Right. Um, so they overpromise and then yeah. they underdeliver, which then, you know, and then then, on the back foot yeah, at that point, like the customer's lost trust in you. You're on the back foot at that point. The customer's going to be second guessing you at that, you know, afterwards as well. So you might as well just kind of, I don't know, ask for forgiveness up front. Um, exactly. Or, yeah. or really, you know, say, Hey, this is where we're at. This is the reality of it right now. You know, I've got, a number of really urgent at this point you you know you're really important we really want to look after you that's right but you know from from your situation at the moment you don't actually have a property is it okay if we get to your um thing on monday spot on yeah you know spot on. and then um Obviously, no, that's, Monday, rolled, that's rolled off the tongue for you. It's I mean, it's obviously very. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that you're, you're, you're yeah. well used to as well. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but then in terms of obviously, it gives you that sort of drops your own anxiety levels and makes you more productive because you can focus on the task at hand yeah. without being stressed out that you've got you know fifteen other clients, um, you know that that you're dealing with, and you know the the anxiety of getting that additional referral, you know, you can, you, you learn to handle that, right? Definitely. And that's the other part. I think when you talk about challenges in this industry, like burnout is one thing that I'd say that again, as an industry, this is, this is high, high pressure stuff. Sometimes it's high stakes. Um, clients that are going through it for the first time don't have an understanding of what happens in the process. And when we're saying, well, Hey, trust us, it almost sounds a bit patronizing to a customer. Um, we're wedged in the middle between a bank who makes a decision and us who think that, you know, it should be a yes, for example, and then things delays and then customers don't get things to us. And it's like, it can be compounded very quickly. And we work, we can work on very tight timeframes for purchases, for example, um, especially when the market is super hot. So for us being wedged in that middle and having, you've really got to work hard to build, um, build a wall around yourself emotionally because you can get sucked into this and that's where that burnout would happen high stress levels, working long hours. Yeah, at one point we could see the writing on our wall and then it takes a toll on your team because you're pushing everyone to the brink mm. to keep performing day in, day in, day out, day out um, that you can lead to burnout in your team as well. And we've seen that. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I've been through that in, in my business and it's important mm. to bring rituals into your business. You know, for, for example, in that daily huddle, we used to talk about the wins to mm. bring it back to well, what are actually we doing for the clients? Because you know, we're doing great stuff and we're delivering on their hopes and dreams every day. But if we don't every day bring it back to what we are doing and how we are serving, and yeah. again, the focus becomes on more on us and our stress levels and not 
on how we're serving. So I think, you know, an important thing for, for all brokerages is to bring it back to the purpose in terms of why we're doing what we're doing. And that's to serve our customers. And Correct. so I think, you know, by doing that and sharing those wins, such an important um, thing because they, especially these processing roles are, you know, they're a thankless task sometimes, <laughs> you know. So when things if, don't go well, yeah. they're kind of, they're, they're, they can be hung out to dry. And when things go well, they're almost an unsung hero in our business because we can take the glory. It's like, well, mm. hang on, mate. No, no role is greater than the other. There is no broker without the broker support. There is no, you know, and vice versa. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So in terms of i just want to touch on customer service now you've won yeah. a number of awards for your customer service and we've touched on some of the things that you've done in regards to your existing clients and even yeah. you know the process that we were just talking about about you know that those communications and, and showing your humanness but what else from a customer service point of view do you think really sets you know your business apart from others yeah, there'd be a couple of things. One is we see our business partners as our customers as well. So yeah, every second year we've been holding a, a thank you function for all our referral partners. Um, again, that just sort of solidifies our relationships with our referral partners. Um, they get to meet each other as well. We invite our BDMs along because we see our BDMs as part of our customer journey as well. So being able to bring, because again, BDMs can be a bit of a thankless role as well. Um, so BDMs, our referral partners come together and we say, hey, look, here's an event. A thank you. It's kind of a chilled out afternoon with a few drinks over the harbour. Fantastic, right? Uh, and it's worked really well for us. Definitely. Uh, I, I love I love what you say about the BDM part of it, you know. Mm. And, you know, if you're listening to this now, if go and pick up the phone and say thank you or write right. a, a handwritten note to a BDM that's helped you get a, a deal across the, the line over the last week because... You know, they really appreciate that. And as Aaron said, they are really unsung heroes. So I love that you uh, reward them. So what else, buddy? Okay. Uh, Low-hanging fruit. Uh, again, we'll do birthday cards. And for all it takes me, I'll get my birthday cards um, that the team will give me on a Friday. I'll write them for the next week. And that 30 minutes can give me such great results it's not a marketing thing, it's a customer service, customer care. Um, we've got so much information on our existing customers. Um, uh, how are you going, handwritten card, here's a scratchy. It's such a tried and tested and proven customer service approach. I think sometimes we just overlook it because it's almost too easy. <laughs> and, um, and I can't tell you, like, we get much better feedback on our uh, handwritten birthday cards than we do on settlement gifts, which is why we've stopped settlement gifts. Um, yeah, we don't do settlement gifts, mate. And we've tried it. Um, it. Not that it doesn't work. It just doesn't have the same level of impact as something as personalized as a handwritten birthday card. Um, and, and we've tinkered with it as well. So the other part that we do is we've got our, our charity initiative that instead of a settlement gift, we donate on their, on, on their behalf to our chosen charity as well. Just to say, look, your home loan has gone beyond us and them, and it's had an impact on someone else in the world as well. And yeah. we are all in the business of putting roofs over people's heads and financing that. So how can we help pay that forward to people that are less fortunate? And that's part of our ethos as well in this business. Um, 
and we explain that to customers they're like yeah actually i did buy a two million dollar property i don't need an extra bottle of wine um and that penny just drops a little bit for them it's like hey look there are people out there that are, aren't as fortunate as us to buy investment properties or to buy a dream home so how can we help i guess how can we have that philosophy to to help pay it forward and that's what we've been all about in the last 12 months Beautiful. I love that. And, you know, I think that's a great transition, you know, to, to sort of step out of the business a little bit and sort of, you know, that's one thing around sort of giving back and using, and I know in my business, it's something that I'm big on as well, but, you know, in looking at your business, you know, as serving others, but also serving you and your lifestyle, and, you know, you've made some changes in your life and um, around that. So I just wanted to sort yeah. of, you know, let's end on this sort of note and talk to a, a bit around, you know, that business leading into creating what you want from a lifestyle perspective. Yeah, look, I mean, broking was kind of, I don't know, it's been banded and pitched around a little bit as a lifestyle business. We could never understand it because it seemed like it was all consuming for us. Like I'm probably the same for you. I think maybe if you're um, if you're driven to succeed in this business, it's certainly not a lifestyle business. Like you're getting calls on Friday afternoons and on the weekends. Oh, I think that's a fallacy, Aaron. I think oh, know, completely. from back in my days in Wizard when I recruited brokers, I said if you're not full time, if you're not committed, yeah, you know, yep. it's not a business that you can do part time. You've got totally. to do it five days a week. Yeah. And you've got to be committed. So yeah. So I'll, I'll get on my soapbox about that, about part-time brokers. Yeah. That's another story. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, we focus about us and we go, right, this is us. This is our business. And what we were finding was the business was controlling us. Mm. And we had to draw a line in the sand, particularly because Bernie and I are married and we're business partners. Mm. So at some point we had to go, the marriage is greater than the business. And at that point we said, right, we're trying to start a family. Um, Conceiving while stress levels are high, that's a challenge in itself, right? Mm. So we said, right, hang on, we need to find a way to dial down our stress levels. And that's when we made the transition to move out of Sydney and move down the south um, to a suburb called The Rule. And it gave me the ability to have the best of both worlds, which was still go up to Sydney for client meetings. That made me really hyper-productive that I only did meetings on Wednesdays and Thursdays. The clients only could do, uh, we could only do meetings on those days in the city office. And the rest of the week, I worked from the office just close to home. And... As part of that transition, it was like, well, we planned for a baby. We're super blessed to have a baby, two, uh, a Sienna, two years ago. And it's like, right, how can we help our business kind of fall into line with our, our life and how we want to be able to control it? And I didn't want to continue working the long hours because I wanted to be around for Sienna. I wanted to be around for a family, for myself and for them. And I think we've just gone on that journey over the last couple of years to go, right, we need to be able to let go of some things, so being able to hire the right team members to come on the journey with us, being able to look at ways to go, what is super important that I should be doing and what's the stuff that I shouldn't be doing as well in the business. And the lifestyle now has come to a point where I'm like, you've got to make it so deliberate and such a focus in the business as well. As focused as you are on lead gen, focusing on like, call it a balance, call it harmony, call it lifestyle, whatever you want. But now I feel like we've been able to tame the beast, which is the business, rather than the business controlling us, mate. And um, it, it took a lot of work. It took quite, quite a lot of hard conversations to go, right, where do we draw boundaries around? I want to be home around this time. I want to be doing bath time. I want to be doing dinners, for example. Like, I want, I want that for myself and my family. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely. And I see a lot of brokers wearing their availability almost like a badge of honor. Oh, you can contact me seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And, you know, that to me isn't the lifestyle that I want. You know, you don't answer your phone after a certain time. You don't work on weekends, you know. And if you're not going to draw those boundaries, and I love what you're doing because you're saying, okay, what sort of lifestyle do I want? And then how can I make my business fit in with my lifestyle? Who do I need to buy back my time? Um, and right. how can I put them, those particular roles in the business? And I was speaking to someone else yesterday and they were saying, you know, time is time, right? Mm. So whether you get someone to help you in the house to do the cleaning and the washing and all those things or you get someone in your business to help on whatever um time is time so you know it could be recruiting someone within your business or it could be getting help at home so yeah um yeah and what were the challenges that you went through in terms of when you did make that a priority yeah again it's probably letting go so i think for us we kind of go well i can do it all and and i'll find myself coming back into a go well hang on here's how i do it and it's like and then tim goes no no no, you you have to and i even i have to go well i have to step away and again you can see mistakes being made it's like well if i keep telling them that our team they won't learn they won't learn for themselves they've got to make a mistake and then i'm like right i can see it happening i'm like guys we want it and then you become i guess a little bit more aware on like, okay, I can see the lead factors. I can see this is where it's going to go wrong. So I can jump in there and do some training beforehand. Mm. And again, I make mistakes. Um, The transition from broker to managing team to leading a team, that is a very steep learning curve. And again, we will make mistakes as you learn and you're practicing on real life. You're practicing on real team. Like there's nowhere to train for this sometimes. Right. Oh, definitely. Um, definitely. We're practicing uh, on real life clients. Like it's, it's tough. Definitely. Um, I find that with a lot of brokers, brokers will understand, Hey, my process is broken because the widget yeah. doesn't move from A to B very smoothly, but they yeah. don't understand those things about how to onboard a staff, how to, you know, um, what's a 90 day training process. plan. Yeah. What, yeah. Yeah. What's, what's a trainee development plan? What's the areas of credit I need to um, teach these? They don't think like that. and They don't even know that, that it's a problem. Um, yeah. and it's to, like purely by osmosis. They just got to like hang around <laughs> and, and like catch it. And it's like, we've set them up to fail. And again, I'll have this all the time where I'm like, the team is just going, there's just not enough hours in the day to do all the tasks that you're asking me to do. And I've got to be, I've got to be realistic that to find high performing, good quality team members, Finding customers can be easier, but finding team is super, super challenging. Um, like I listen, I, I work, we've worked with Roland and I listen to your mm. podcast with Roland as well. Be able to find team, especially for the, these niche roles, Ross, like there is no power brokers that just kind of roll into your office. Like finding a credit analyst, that's hyper niched. Finding client services that understand the client journey that have been through the home buying experience. That's a hyper niche role. Finding post settlement support. That's a hyper niche role. So De- we're definitely for a needle in a haystack. Yeah, and so you're looking for that needle in the haystack, and then that needle has to have the same customer service ethos and values yeah. that Aaron needs to have, right? So it's like a diamond, I reckon. <laughs> Mate. And it's like the Atelier way. This is how we want it done. It's like, well, this is how I've done it. And it's worked for me. I'm like, 
yeah, but this is our ways, our different. And it's like, yeah, you've just got to, I don't know, it's super hard to let that go. <laughs> and yeah, we're all on the journey, mate. This is it. And so that's why looking up to brokerages, looking to people out there, been, been there, done that, it's so important because we want to avoid making the mistakes that they've made or you've made or other great brokers have made so we avoid those pitfalls as well, right? Definitely. Yeah. Mate, that's great. And I love that lifestyle um, piece. And it's something that oh, every so. broker needs to have and such an important note. But uh, I always uh, like to ask, you know, one tip uh, as we close, if you were for a broker that's looking to sort of scale, what is your one tip that, that you would give them above all else? Yeah, know your numbers. Um, the amount of brokers that I've asked are, what's your cost of goods sold? And they've got a blank look on their face. It's not a rhetorical question. It's just like, hang on, what's, if you're producing widgets, how much does it cost to produce it? So knowing your numbers and knowing how much it costs to be minimally viable in this business, I think that's super, super important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Love that. That's been great. I really enjoyed the chat. I mean, it, we've Mate, gone so into you know, so many different places and there's been so much gold that, that's come out in, in, in a great sort of conversation, Aaron. So it's been a pleasure. Thanks, so Thanks very much for uh, being part of it. No, man, thank you very much. I love what you're doing for the industry. Like, I've got to call it out. I, I, I feel like a bit like it's else in the room. I'm not a billion-dollar broker yet. Uh, <laughs> But I love what you're doing for the industry, which is raising the bar, paying it forward from what you've done, hearing from other brokers, which is so valuable as well, mate. So um, from our industry, mate, thank you so much for what you're doing. Oh, thank you, buddy. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Really appreciate that. Well, this has been another episode of The Billion Dollar Broker. Uh, if you've liked what you've heard, give us a five-star rating. Thanks again. If you want to subscribe we're on apple spotify soundcloud or where you get your podcasts we also have a group uh, called the billion dollar broker group on facebook uh, request to join and uh, we'll be sharing this and so many different resources uh, and creating a real community so please join uh, and if you're interested in my services whether you want to be coached uh, please get in contact. I'd love to hear from you. All right. Thanks again. See you next time.